welcome to Nicosia Uncut. And this is the last time I say this for 2020. In this episode, we look to the future and discuss what to expect for 2021. So, we shed light on four topics, the Cyprus problem, local politics, normalization, including the pandemic, crossings, and economic situation, and regional and global politics. Hello, Andromahi. I think we are likely to be able to do one last program before 2020 ends. Hello, Kemal, to our last podcast uh, for the year. Correct, correct. I said we are lucky because, you know, this year was full of surprises, so you can never know <laughs> what's the next step will be or what's the next incident will be. So for this podcast, you and I, we discussed a little bit before the program and then we prepared some headings. We've, we've said that generally when people are doing a show at the end of the year, they look at retrospectively to what happened, but I think we don't need to do that. We don't have so many good things to remember. Maybe we can look ahead and try to make assumptions regarding 2021. Yes, I think it is better for us to look into the future rather than into the past. And uh, so let's discuss what it is that we anticipate for 2021. For our listeners, maybe we can summarize what we are going to do today. We've decided to look at uh, 2021 under four headings. Cyprus problem, local politics, normalization in the sense of virus and crossings and economy, and uh, regional and global politics or international politics. So we will present to you what we anticipate for uh, in these four topics regarding 2021 and what uh, we are to look out for. Yeah, let's start with the Cyprus problem, our favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it is clear and safe to say that we will uh, go through a period of many changes. Nobody can uh, determine the shape that these changes will take, but it is safe to say that the status quo will not be the same in 2021. We have a lot of political developments awaiting when it comes to a five plus one conference in the Cyprus problem. An attempt will definitely be launched by the United Nations Secretary General to look into whether the ground exists for negotiations to recommence on the Cyprus problem. And so we are to see what will happen after that. Um, 2020 was a heartbreak for those who believed in a federal solution for many reasons, especially after the failure of Mr. Akinju to get re-elected and the Turkey's position towards the Cyprus problem. And um, now we are finding ourselves in a territory that we don't know because we know that the United Nations will not be endorsing a two-state solution, nor the Greek Cypriot side. Nor the European so, Union, as yes. it becomes evident. Of course. And also EU and also, the you know, the members of the EU who also have similar problems in their own territories, right? Probably we'll be seeing Turkey and Turkey Cypriot side insisting on uh, some sort of a two-state solution. But I think it's too early to say that they will be rejecting any kind of any other attempt to take back the discussion into some sort of a federal arrangement, because that would again bring us to this question, what's going to happen next? Indeed. And the, what has become evident lately is that in this setting, the European Union has understood 
that they need to solve the Cyprus problem in some way or they need to move the Cyprus problem from where it stands today. So we are to see changes. We are to see an international effort when it comes to this, but we are yet to see the shape these developments will take. And they could really go either way, right? Yes, and there have been discussions that maybe in order to keep the momentum alive or to avoid announcing the complete failure of the process, I have been hearing assumptions that maybe some sort of a confidence-building measure could be discussed. I don't know how effective it will be, whether it will be working, whether it is a reasonable thing to, to expect. You know, at times of the greatest stagnation on the Cyprus problem, we have seen a number of confidence-building measures as, as the way to kind of move the ground a bit and compensate for the lack of political development. So we are waiting to see if this will be the case as well. As you say, in the Greek Cypriot press, we have seen these references to which you refer about the possibility of confidence-building measures. Some local reports were referring to the Republic of Cyprus suggesting that Famagusta should be returned to its inhabitants under UN administration as per the UN Security Council resolutions in exchange for a change in the standing of the airport in the northern part of Cyprus. So we don't know what will happen, but we know that these sort of thoughts to which you refer are there and are being deliberated upon. As somebody who always wants reconciliation and steps for for a better understanding between communities, of course I always support comprehensive solution, but in the lack of it, I think it would be good to have some sort of steps for better cooperation between sides. Because Cyprus is too small to be divided. Whatever the political arrangement will eventually be, I don't see that there will be completely two separate administrations not cooperating on anything two separate states possible. So whatever happens, eventually I believe that Cyprus will bring us together. So it's I see that it's important that we need some sort of of, of movement, of making the atmosphere better and bringing com- communities together and then cooperating. Especially after a year in which uh, collaboration has been so hit and contact has also been hit. So, Talking about Cyprus politics, I think we automatically need to discuss a bit about local politics, but also regional politics, of course. But let's start with the local politics. What should we expect from 2021 in terms of Greek Cypriot and Turkey Cypriot politics? Well, local politics is once again linked to the Cyprus problem because any development in the Cyprus problem will inevitably influence Republic of Cyprus parliamentary elections that are due to take place in May 2021. So there are a lot of things at stake uh, in May 2021. In fact, the Cyprus problem will not even be a direct issue for the elections uh, because there are so many other issues that are currently more important in the local sphere, but the Cyprus problem will play an indirect role and we will explain this in the in the process. But it is clear that in the elections in May, the, the issue of corruption will be top of the list. The, the political system in the Republic of Cyprus is plagued with corruption scandals, is, is plagued with a perception of corruption. And the, the mistrust by the public has skyrocketed. So 
it will be very interesting to see how this situation will reflect itself in the elections. Sadly, there are no options in the political spectrum of political parties that truly stand aside from this perception of corruption that plagues the system. And even more sadly, far-right parties like Elam and far-right rhetorics are the ones that flourish in this uh, setting. In fact, in the course of history and at all times, we've seen that when the established political system is facing this deep-rooted crisis, along with financial problems, it is the far-right that profits especially in lack of other options. And whilst Elam is a deeply systemic party in the way it acts and in the way it exists, uh, it has managed through its, its propaganda to present itself as standing outside the system. And so we are waiting to see to what extent Elam will benefit from this situation. And at the same time, uh, we are also waiting to see the extent to which abstention will reach because I, I believe that that abstention will be the winner of the elections. We should know that abstention only benefits mainstream political parties because it allows them to share the pie and share a much smaller pie, but in the end they will still get uh, their share. So, I mean, I yes. wouldn't like to be in the shoes of the center and center-right parties at the moment, especially DC. On one hand, you have people who have been voting for you because of many reasons, but there are also people who've been voting for you, believing that you would be solving the Cyprus problem because they are not, you know, leftist people. So if you completely abandon them, then you will, you will be losing a lot of votes. But at the same time, if you give in to the rhetoric to, of Elam, if you just let that space dominated only by Elam, you would probably as a party be also losing some votes. So I think you are right in the sense that the center of the ground parties will be losing some votes and, and they will find it difficult to justify themselves in exactly. terms of Cyprus problem. Exactly. And we should also remember that the LAM has just backed the government in the discussion on the budget and they have worked with DC on that. So that's going to be interesting to see how it's going to play out. At the what about time, DICO? Well, Dico, the thing with Dico is that they can really not prove that they stand aside from this corrupt political system in the eyes of the people. The only party that can claim this is basically the Greens. But the Greens are themselves fighting with their own demons because at a time when environmental parties all across the world and Europe are flourishing, uh, the Green Party has failed to take advantage of this trend, mainly because basically they have failed to capitalize on the issue of the environment because they are focusing on other issues. They have had a change in leadership. Haralan Bostiop M2 is more positively perceived by some people. But I must say that there is still no political stigma on behalf of the leadership of, uh, of the Greens. So I'm not sure about the extent to which they can really capitalize on this um, increasing frustration and agitation of, of the public uh, regarding the mainstream political parties. Do you see any prospect for center-left um, um, left parties for AKEL? 
in the absence of developments in the Cyprus problem? Well, you see, the Akel has, once again, it's, it's got its own ghosts. And uh, sadly, I believe that the failure of Akel in establishing itself as a truly progressive and uh, non-corrupt political force is leaving a very big percentage of the population unrepresented, basically. Because let's face it, the, the right is indeed represented in the Republic of Cyprus parliament, but the, those who are left aside are the progressives, those who want to see an agenda based on the environment, an agenda calling for the separation of, of church and, and state, an agenda calling for a more liberal uh, voice on certain issues. And these voices, they have no option, nowhere to turn to. This lack of options is what makes things more difficult for the political system. And sadly, honestly, I believe Ikel had the opportunity to establish itself as one of these forces, but it has failed. I mean, in the Turkey Cypriot politics, we'll probably be having elections probably in October after summer depending on how the coalition, the new coalition, will succeed or not. Um, currently, Cyprus' prob- problem is completely detached with party politics, and uh, we have a right-wing uh, minority coalition. I think their success will depend on their ability, on one hand, to get money from Turkey, sadly, to um, how they will be handling the pandemic and economic development and economic situation in the north. And um, I think these are the, the main issues that will be uh, facing them. And uh, there have always been um, many discussions in the Turkey Cypriot politics, side discussions apart from economy and Cyprus problem, things like reforming the, the administration, things like bringing electricity from Turkey, so um, these probably will be dominant discussions in, in the upcoming um, months. But of course, Andromahi, it's also interesting that because they are a, a minority government, I think they will find it quite difficult to pass certain laws. So um, whether they will be stable or not, we'll be seeing that. But how would you expect left-wing parties to... Uh, present themselves in the possibility of an election. What will be their uh, rhetoric? What will be their story? Historically, left-wing parties um, base their stories on two things. One, Cyprus problem. Two, their relationship um, vis-a-vis Turkey, especially when it comes to privatization, when it comes to neoliberal politics that are pushed uh, by Turkey. And uh, these will be the two issues probably that they, they will be trying to capitalize their votes on. In the lack of positive developments in Cyprus problem, I don't see what's left. I don't see how they will be able to um, defend their uh, politics, especially when after the pandem- pandemic, we lost most of our most important economic activities. And then now we are more dependent uh, to Turkey economically. Just like in the South, I think in the North, there is a need for progressive and, and strong party politics. We have JTP and TDP who were worn out because of the, you know, what happened in, in, with, with Akinji campaign and what happened before. I know that there are attempts by small left parties and movements trying to create some sort of uh, an alliance or movement to bring them all together. 
Um, there is a question, what happens with all those people who voted for Akinji, what Akinji will exactly. be doing? So um, we don't know those yet because Akinji had said clearly that he's leaving politics, but whether he will be supporting other movements or groups will also will be will be seeing that. So here's to 2021 looking out for new political voices uh, that could represent the progressive uh, the progressive public in both sides of the divide. Co- correct, but <laughs> but but you know I think we'll be trying to recover from the effect of COVID. Uh, yes. We'll be trying to recover from this big trauma that we have experienced with the. Uh, strong intervention of, of Turkey into the Turkish Cypriot politics. So I think we'll be needing to recover from that first to be able to have really, let's say, a strong, a strong movement that will be giving you targets, clear aims. Okay. You might be reactionary. You might be entitled justify your movement that you are resisting something. But eventually you need to promise something to the masses. You need to tell them, this is what I'm going to take you to this is what i'm promising you so and this is the biggest challenge of the progressive groups in especially when we are thinking about the cyprus problem exactly you need an agenda basically and you need a positive agenda you cannot go anywhere with only rejecting but you need to present a vision and this is what we are lacking this shows how a possible positive message in one community empowers the progressives in the other community this is how a positive development in um, in the Turkish Cypriot community empowers the progressives in in the Greek Cypriot community and vice versa. And now it's this is just one clear example when the progressives on one side going down, the progressives on the other side are also going down. So let us now move on to our other topic. Let us discuss a bit the post-pandemic, post-COVID nineteen era. Are we? Are we in a hurry to discuss this issue? What do you think, Kemal? I mean, personally, I know that at the earlier convenience, I will want to take the shot. Mm-hmm. I would like to have myself vaccinated. We know that there will be vaccines coming from EU and will be delivered to Republic of Cyprus. And then and will be. Uh, you will mention more about this. You know, certain uh, part of it will be given to the Turkish Cypriots. We also know that shots will be coming from Turkey. I did my research and I feel like it doesn't matter. It's better. Whatever comes, you know, we don't need to say this is good, this is bad. We need to have those shots and then probably, hopefully, we'll be getting out of this pandemic feeling in 2021. Indeed, as you say, vaccines are coming. They arrive on the island on the 27th of of December. 200,000 vaccines will be given by the European Commission to the Turkish Cypriot authorities. And we are to see some collaboration between uh, the sites on that front at least. And it's much needed collaboration, especially on an issue that collaboration has been absent, uh, should be told. I do not believe that the new normal will be just like the past normal, let's say. I, I believe that the things will be different, but at least some sort of uh, an understanding that our lives are going back on track is particularly needed. And we believe that the vaccinations, when they start and when they proceed all around Europe and the world, they will allow for this feeling of 
okay, let's see how to proceed from here. And that is when we might as well collectively decide that there are also lessons to draw from the pandemic for the future. Because really, I don't know who wants to go back to the same situation as before. I mean, I'm sure we all know that there are things that need to change. And maybe this could be the time for us uh, to discuss uh, about these changes after we have managed to get things a bit on track. So how do you envisage this situation when it comes to, uh, I don't know, the, the crossings, for instance? We know that things that we have taken for granted can be taken away from us. And crossings was just one example. Hopefully, we'll be trying to see it in a positive light. We'll be uh, seeing it more positively, try to get the best out of the fact that we have crossings after so many years after 74 and then um, I'm trying to believe that this time this will create us more motivation to cross more to know each other more to get to work together more and um, probably uh, the administrations will be trying to delay it as much as possible seeing what the previous practices have been Probably the NGO, civil society, progressive forces will be trying to push for it until they really get it. I'm hoping that they will not come up with new restrictions, new physical and uh, bureaucratic obstacles. On that note, I am hoping that EU will also be playing a more active role to defend the Green Line regulation. We have to go back to our lives and crossings is just an important part of it. It also supports economic cooperation between two sides, social, cultural cooperation, political cooperation between both sides. It also opens eyes and visions. It creates a more open-minded communities and younger generations, especially if we use this chance. It actually gave us the chance to reassess what we had and how we could use it. Exactly, I totally agree. And so let's put an asterisk there that uh, for the civil society and the European Union that they will have a lot of work in 2021 in order to allow for the issue of crossing points to be prioritized in the agenda of political authorities in both sides. I'm actually um, quite happy to the reactions of our podcast, especially the ones which are addressing to the EU. I know that we have uh, followers from different parts of the world and then from the statistics I can see that the ones which are relevant with the EU are actually getting good hits. So I am hoping that um, this will be a good chance for the EU to play a positive role in Cyprus because we know that um, regional and globally they have been suffering from different problems including Brexit. But hopefully this is an area that they can play a positive role. And how about the issue of the economy, both locally and internationally, of course? What do you anticipate when it comes to this? I think there will be two different trends. On one hand, of course, after this pandemic, we have been um, experiencing recession. Uh, many um, small and medium-sized enterprises, independent workers, they are actually losing job, they are actually losing work, they are actually losing their their income, and probably there will be a negative trend in that. But I think this also will be reversed in the sense that with the opening up of economy and then people will want to leave behind the, the negative uh, effects 
of COVID, they will want to travel more, they will want to enjoy life more, it will bring more interaction, economic interaction, more tourism, more spending, more consumption. So it will probably move the economy after the recession. It will probably boost uh, the economy a bit more, both locally and, and internationally. How do you see things? No, I agree mostly on this. Having said that, I still believe that we are yet to see the true financial impact of the pandemic on certain industries. So uh, I am kind of anticipating to see how the pandemic will have influenced the aviation industry, let's say, the restaurant industry as well. Uh, So I I think we are yet to really see what this pandemic will leave behind when it comes to financial issues. Whilst I agree with your analysis of course, I'm still waiting to see which players will remain in the game, let's say, uh, after this. So you know, that's... we've been discussing local politics on Romahi and probably we'll be starting to see the positive impact of post-COVID era towards the end of 2021. And if this is going to be the case, probably the, let's say, conservative forces in power on both sides will be trying to capitalize on that. They will try to impress their voters with that new economic positive developments. So I don't know how things will be affecting um, uh, the local politics in that sense as well. But again, we are just trying to make assumptions. It's too early to say things. Yes, and I think now it's time for us to look at the at our last topic, the international uh, politics and international policy and how this will also play out in 2021. We have a number of changes. We have the new U.S. administration taking office in January. There are a lot of expectations vested in this. I think the European Union is also waiting to see the new approach to be taken after four years of uh, Trump's presidency. I believe that the European Union is anticipating to see what line will be followed by Biden administration when it comes to uh, relationships with Russia, with China, uh, with the Eastern Mediterranean. So all these are issues that have been kind of pending, let's say, uh, in an unstable world order under uh, the Trump presidency. So that's one area in which uh, there are a lot of things to look out for. Yes, what about uh, what about EU and what about uh, how EU will be uh, responding to the global and regional challenges in, in, in our region? Well, I'm kind of curious, to be honest, because uh, the European Union, I believe that in the four years of Trump's presidency, they must have realized the need for them to emerge in the international scene as a stronger political actor, as a more coherent political actor. And at the same time, we are waiting to see the impact of Brexit as well, how the European Union will proceed after Brexit, the deal was reached on the 24th of December between the sides, but uh, we are waiting to see what this will mean for Europe, what lessons will have been learned uh, by the European Union regarding uh, Brexit and uh, what this will mean uh, when it comes to even the way domestic and international uh, policies are understood by the European Union. There are a number of issues on which the European Union has chosen not to take an active stance 
uh, like issues when it comes to the Middle East, issues when it comes to even even when it comes to the Eastern Mediterranean, it was only at the eleventh hour uh, that they appeared to understand the importance of taking a stance and intermediating and involving themselves more. So we have that. And of course, we want to see how the European Union's relationship with Turkey will develop. And this cannot be seen outside the spectrum of the changes in the international realm and the change in the U.S. administration. So how do you perceive this when it comes to EU and Turkey, let's say? Turkey is in trouble on many fronts. Turkey is having problems with the American administration. Turkey has already been experiencing problems with Greece, Republic of Cyprus, with France, with many EU member countries. Turkey has also gained itself an animosity of, of many Middle Eastern countries. So at certain point, they will be needing to find allies. And um, we have been seeing that they are trying to mend their relationship with Israel recently. But uh, this way or another, I agree that Turkey will need to understand that uh, that Turkey needs to choose. You cannot be fighting on all all fronts and um, getting the uh, negative attention of of the the public opinions of of various countries and fronts. So regarding EU, I think uh, I'm hoping that Turkey will need to see see the light in cooperating. Hopefully, they will understand the importance of, of cooperation with the EU, with the, with the partners, because the Turkish economy is not doing well either. But of course, this is something that you would expect from a, a reasonable government. We know that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And then AK Party government, Erdogan, um, they have been in power for so many years, and I'm not sure whether they will be able to sustain a very positive image, both locally and internationally. So they will need to find a way to to sustain their, their power, at least. And especially because in 2020, aside from everything else, Turkey has been very tiring when it comes to this constant war of words and this constant obstinacy when it comes to the way that it deals with the so many open fronts that it has. And as you said, it is high time they saw the light in collaborating. And we are waiting for that. They, One they negative have... problem, Andromahi, yeah. for example, is that we know that Turkey's relationship with West is not only with the EU, but Turkey has been has been a member of Council of Europe for so many years, so many decades. The latest decision of the European Court of Human Rights on the Kurdish political leader, and then that they ordered Turkey to release him, yet uh, Turkey constantly um, rejecting this. And then I don't know whether this will eventually be leading to worsening of its relationship with, with the Council of Europe as well. Then this means that Turkey is actually cutting all its ties with the West. But you also need to understand the, the, the local politics in Turkey that the nationalists uh, are the only allies of Erdogan government now and then they're kind of cornering him in certain decisions. So we'll be see how Turkey will be affected in 2021 as well. So, well, what we can say is that we would like a Turkey that will be more tied to rule of law, to the importance of justice, to the importance of freedom of speech. Better relations with uh, neighbors, right? I, exactly. So, but, but we are yet to see any signs of that. I think it has been a bit longer podcast today, but it's because we were looking into the I future. think we are justified. Yes. 
so Kemal, is there anything you would like to say as we are leaving from 2020 and then heading into 2021? 2020 was a tough year for me personally and also it was a tough year for Cyprus, for world. And now everybody is excited about 2021, including myself. We need to remember that things will not come to us if we don't work for it. Apart from being podcast producers, we are also peace activists. So I am quite hopeful uh, about the younger generations who have been actively expressing themselves in a, in a positive light, um, owning their Cypriot identity, owning democratic rights, environmental rights, the diversity in the community. So um, I'm hoping that we'll be continue to work with those people to make uh, our country and the world a better place to live. And uh, this is a wish. I know it sounds a little bit kitsch, but uh, we're at the end of the year and then we are expecting the new year. So I should be justified for this too. <laughs> But you're always a bit of an optimist, Kemal, so you're always I was justified. expecting you to tell me. What <laughs> about you? Justified. No, I think it has been a, indeed a very difficult year for all of us, for the world. I think we need to acknowledge that we've had it better than most people around the world because, uh, let's face it, we are faced with first world problems. But uh, at the same time, I also believe that it is a year that gave us a few moments when we could envisage a different world and when we could dream of a different world. So I don't believe in magic solutions. I don't believe that at the turn of, of the year, things will uh, magically change. But I hope that this year has at least allowed us to see the need for us to be more humane, more empathetic to be showing more solidarity to those around us, to understand basically our stance in the world and how precarious everything is and how pointless everything is at the end of the day when it comes to these dreams of grandeur that we build our lives on. Uh, I hope we start paying more attention to sustainability, to our nature, to our environment, because as we saw when humans slowed down their uh, rhythms, our environment and nature flourished. So maybe we have some lessons to take from that as well when it comes to how we shape our future. And yes, I hope for peace in Cyprus and I don't believe it's going to come magically. I, I hope that we will all continue to have the courage to work for this in 2021. On this positive and idealistic <laughs> note from Andromahi, <laughs> I think it's time to say goodbye and see you in our next podcast in 2021. Goodbye, Kemal, and goodbye. Goodbye. Y'all.